Well, come on in, people of God. This is a good problem that you're still talking. It means it's working. We are thrilled you're here. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Nehemiah. We're in week four of a series going through this book, and if you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the screen, but I have thoroughly enjoyed this book of Nehemiah. There's so much in here, and we're listening to it with our kids on the way to school every morning, just going through the book and then circling back this whole series, starting conversations with our kids. And so my prayer is that tonight the Lord would do what only the Lord can do, which is speak in a way that we hear and wake us back up to life. So hear the word of the Lord out of Nehemiah chapter five. I'm gonna read the first six verses and then we'll pray. It says this, now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. And some were saying, and I hear the desperation. If you just read this, you know, some were saying, we and our sons, like hear the desperation of these people, their outcry. We and our sons and our daughters are numerous. And in order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Go on to the next. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields. We're mortgaging our vineyards and our homes to get grain during the famine. So there's a famine. And still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. And although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. Do you hear their desperation? And then it says, this is Nehemiah talking, when I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, thanks be to God. Lord, would you speak? If this is me trying to work a talk up, we're in trouble. If this is me trying to be clever, we've wasted our time. If this is just me up here by myself trying to hold a room, Lord, this is gonna fall flat. But if you, by your spirit, will speak, if you will come, if you will do what you've always done, and God said, let there be light, and there was. If you'll do that again, we'll be fine. If you do that again, we'll be healed. If you do that again, we'll be delivered and saved and rescued. If you do that again, we'll actually be human again. So Lord, at the end of our week, where we've been dehumanized, where we've worked, where we've been anxious, where we've gone hard, where, Lord, would you rehumanize us tonight by the power of your word? We say, speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Would you invite the Lord to speak to you tonight? Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. We pray, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And I pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. amen. Have you ever gotten into something and realized that it was gonna require so much more than you thought? <laughs> You know, that house that you were going to flip so easily and it was going to bring you 50K just overnight, boom, 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 and you find out that everything is jacked up and you lose money on the deal. Have you ever bought that car that you thought was going to be just the right one and it was a lemon and you could not make lemonade out of it? 
Like it was, it was so bad. It was just so, have you ever gotten into something that you just expected to be smooth and easy and there's gonna be a flow to it and it's gonna be graced and everything I touch is just, and then it just gets really hard. Well, welcome to Nehemiah's life in chapter five. Nehemiah had signed up to rebuild the wall and he was making major progress. If you'll remember from earlier weeks, he was in southwest Iran in the Persian Empire, basically a part of the cabinet. He was the cupbearer to the king. The king was his friend. He had an incredible 401k. He had a pension that was building. If anything he asked for, the king would give it to him. So he's at the citadel of Susa in Iran. And then the Lord calls him. The Lord breaks his heart to go back to Jerusalem. Back, I, I should say. This is his first time to Jerusalem. He was born in exile in Iran. So the Lord calls him to go to Jerusalem a thousand miles away. And he leaves a comfortable life. And he leaves the friendship with the king. And he leaves everything that he's ever known. And he goes to a city that has been torn down. And now they're starting to make Headway. The thing is being rebuilt and there's some energy and there's some momentum. And you know what? If everything goes smoothly and if all the, if all the stuff comes in on time and if, and if everyone just does the right thing, we'll be out of this job in the next two or three weeks. Some of you construction folks, you know what I'm talking about. We're about to get out of this thing. Like we're landing the plane. This is where Nehemiah is. And then chapter five happens. And it gets really, really complex. There's been threats and there's been assaults. They've posted a guard. They're working with a tool in one hand and a sword in the other. And they've posted, they've posted uh, warriors around the construction site because there were, there were marauding armies coming through. And, and Tobiah and the Ammonite and, and, and Geshem the Arab and Sanballat. And all these guys are trying to fight the, the Jews from rebuilding the wall. But they're getting it done. It's happening now. Momentum's in full swing, and then we get to chapter five. And I want you to just get a little bit of context for what's happening here. So I read you the outcry of the Jews who are crying out because the other Jews are leveraging them. There's not a parity. There's not a community. There's not a oneness. There's an us against them within the people of God. I was set the scene. It's an agricultural society. These are subsistence farmers living hand to mouth. They're working the ground. They're praying for rain. They're asking God to be good. Open up the heavens. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. They don't have Costco. They don't have pantries. They're, they're, they're trusting the Lord to be good to them. Give us this day our daily bread was not a metaphor. And here these people are, are grinding it out and then Nehemiah comes into town and he calls them to rebuild the wall. And, and so the nation's in crisis. Nehemiah says, God's hand is on us. Let's do this great task. And they rally and they leave the edges of Jerusalem down in the, in the agricultural centers and they come up to the, the capital and they start doing their work. Well, when the men leave the fields, the work doesn't go on like it used to. Now the children are being pressed into service. They're not going to schools. They're, they're out working with mom and with grandma and they're trying to keep the thing going. But the whole sort of ecosystem of their vocation, their, their work day, their lives is thrown off because all of the men have gone in and even some of the women have come in to rebuild the wall. So all of the crops stop. All of the work of planting, it's likely that it's in harvest season because they would rebuild the wall when it was warm. And so here they are, the men rally to help the nation and, and they've been pulled away from their fields and while they're working, neighboring tribes and national armies are threatening war and they're coming out and pilfering their stuff out in the fields because the men are gone for two months. 
So do you see the threat that's happening here? They've gotta do the work, but everything at home stops and it gets more difficult and the women and the children are not safe back at home like they were when the men were at home. Do you see what's happening here? Because of the construction, much of the agricultural sort of chain breaks down and they're not making any money. Like, see what's happening here. They're not working and they're not having something to show for that work and then they're not able to go to the markets and sell their stuff. So the, the economy breaks down as they're doing this. The, the national economy and the local economy and their own personal economies. And because of that, they can't pay their mortgages. They're, they're starting to get eviction notices from the people that own their land. Oh, the bank is calling in the note. You haven't paid us in the last two months and give us our land. It's collateral and so now it's ours. And so you see what's breaking down. And they said, okay, we'll let you stay at the place. We will own your place now, but we'll let you stay at the place so that you don't become homeless. At least you have a nice roof over your head. The nation is starting to fracture and they lost their family businesses that have been in their families for generations. I was just in, in this part of the world uh, two months ago, and I was meeting with a Palestinian Christian, Dawood, who'd been living on this ancestral land that had been in his family for generations. And, and his great, 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 great grandparents planted these olive trees 700 years before. He knows when it started. And some enemies came in and cut down 250 of his olive trees one night, and he woke up the next day and his family was devastated. Not just economically, but you just, you just stepped on my ancestors' graves, right? Do you see, like, these people are working the ground, they have an intimate relationship with the ground, and now the whole nation has been turned upside down to rebuild this wall. The food has been fractured, and by the way, there's a famine going on hand to mouth, paycheck to paycheck, and they all of a sudden in chapter five erupt with Nehemiah and they say, we're gonna die. We've gotta get some grain. We can't keep living like this. The bank has called the note on our mortgage and these people have, have, have rightfully lost their minds because they're losing everything that they own. Borrowing money to pay the Persian king's taxes. So it's bad enough that, that their own Jews are taking their land from them, not working with them as they're rebuilding, but then... Artaxerxes calls for this exorbitant land tax. So they're borrowing like a HELOC or they're trying to shift money around to pay Persia. They can't even pay their own bills. Do you see what's breaking down? And in chapter five, what you see is that Nehemiah shifts from being a general contractor to being a social worker. Help us. We need food. Our kids have been sold into slavery. Our fellow Jews are taking our land that has been in our family for generations because we missed two months of the mortgage payment. Help us. And, and Nehemiah thought he was just gonna come rebuild a wall and maybe even go back to Susa because there's a good life back there. The king would take him back. I'll just go help get these people on their feet and I'll get some momentum going and it's rolling downhill and I, you know, I didn't give them a fish, I taught them how to fish and I got them, we're good. And now I'm gonna go back to the ease and the comfort of what I've known. But Nehemiah, his whole life and his whole job and his whole understanding of what he went to Jerusalem to do has shifted overnight. I'm not educated for this, he might have been thinking. I don't know how to get people reconciled. I don't know how to work with the banks. I don't know how to do all this stuff. And I didn't sign up for this. This was not a part of the contract. And I don't even want this. God, he must have felt like Jeremiah felt in Jeremiah chapter 20 where Jeremiah says, you have deceived me. You, you, you 
got me into this. You backed me into this deal. God, you knew this was gonna happen. And so here Nehemiah is in chapter five from a, a general contractor to a social worker trying to gather people. And the question of chapter five is, what will you do when what you thought you signed up for places new demands on you? What will you do when the story changes? What will you do when the thing you've been called to moves from a job to a vocation? Nehemiah maybe thought he was going there to get a job done. This is a project, and it's going to take us X amount of days and X amount of dollars, and then once I'm done, I'm, I'm on. And it, it went from a job to a vocation, and in this moment, he couldn't get away. What will you do when the work can no longer be kept at arm's length? Nehemiah was going back to his place in the evenings and Nehemiah was just overseeing the job and Nehemiah was seeing a completion and all of a sudden it, 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 it washed ashore. This, this thing got really personal. What will you do when it moves from professional to personal? For Nehemiah, this is what happened. What did he do? In verse six it says, when I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. The first thing that we see that Nehemiah did is Nehemiah heard their cries. You can, you can hear stuff without hearing it. You can be aware of what's going on without letting it mess with your soul. You can take it in and it can go in one ear and out the other and you're on to dinner and next and you just li keep living your life. Nehemiah, he heard it, but he heard it. He heard their cries. This thing took him over. He could no longer keep it at arm's length and the question that I want to ask today is what keeps us from hearing the cries that the Lord wants us to hear? Because it's not just Nehemiah that heard their cry. In all of our lives, God has situated us at a certain wall that is broken down and he needs us to do that work of rebuilding. But, but are you hearing the cry? What keeps us from hearing the cries that the Lord wants us to hear? Our age of information overload will keep us from hearing if we're not careful. The amount of information that we're taking in, the news cycles, the global crises, and now with social media and, and instant access to the news, anywhere, we're seeing anywhere from 2,500 to 5,000 images or stories a day. 2,500 to 5,000 images or stories a day. The war in Russia, what's going on in Ukraine, da, 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 the, the, Africa, and down in South America, and then this thing happened, and then Chicago, and then the water in Jackson, and then this, and then this, and then this, and it's all, they're all very real, and they're all very important, and they're not able to be taken in by any one person. And sociologists and psychologists have coined this phrase not in the not too distant past crisis fatigue you've heard this crisis fatigue that so many of us are overwhelmed we're we're shutting down we're we're overloaded with information and we just can't take it and so what happens is we just turn it uh, we hear it but we are not actually able to hear it and thus we're not able to do anything about any of those stories because we're fatigued i do quite a bit uh, of work with people at the end of life, and I've done, I think, I was calculating earlier today, I think somewhere between 75 and 77 funerals. I, I could go back and get that exact number, but I've done a lot of funerals in 17 years here, and 
it's not just the funeral, it's, it's the two weeks leading up and it's the week of and it's meeting with families and it's going to the funeral home and it's helping them pick a plot or are they gonna, you know, just all the details and all the emotions and all the hospital visits and all the home visits and, and then there's the day of, which is just something. And when you're called to it, you, you love it and you enter into it fully. But when I, when I say amen at the graveside and I get in my car and I start heading back to the office or back to the house, it's just this big <sighs> exhale. And I remember a, a funeral that I did. It was a double funeral. Uh, two people passed in the same family in a car accident. I did this five or six years ago. And I was so wiped after the service that I drove to the nearest steakhouse by myself in my tux at like 1.30 in the afternoon. And people are setting out plates and they're like, what is this guy doing here in a tux by himself? And you know, his wife just walk out or something. And here I am at this table and I order a ribeye steak, a $30 ribeye steak, because I'm so crisis fatigue and overload, I just need to gorge myself on red meat, you know, right? And here I am just, have you ever been in that moment where you just collapse? Like, I just need self-comfort right now because I've given everything that I can give. And this news cycle, this information age that we're living in, if we're not careful, we will shut down, we'll get overwhelmed, and we'll collapse into self-comfort. Just to protect ourselves, we'll have to keep ourselves at bay from these stories. Nehemiah does the opposite. He heard it, and he heard it. And he entered into it. He didn't run back to Susa. He didn't go back to the comfort. He didn't say, that's not a part of my job description. That's not in my contract. I didn't sign up for this. You're gonna have to find somebody else who cares. Nehemiah puts his life on the line. And when he heard their cries, something in him shifted. If you aren't careful, the overwhelming cries of the world will drown out the cries of your neighbor. And this is where we have to be very careful. And I want to say that discipleship for the church of the 21st century entails learning to monitor our media intake. If we're going to be like Jesus, and if we're going to be able to be like Nehemiah and hear the cries, if we're going to be able to obey the commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, you're going to have to learn how to check these these news cycles and, and this information age at the door and learn how to protect yourself so that when actual information comes across your radar that the Lord wants you to hear, you're able to hear it and you're able to feel it and you're able to take it in and you're able to enter into the pain. Can you say amen tonight, church? Guard yourself against what you're taking into your life. A practical tip about this, about the poor, is you'll never accidentally hear the cries of the poor. You have to put yourself in the right places. You have to ask, you have to pray, you have to watch, you have to intuit, and you have to pay attention. You will never accidentally hear the cries of the poor. And by the way, our self-protectionistic instinct will actually try to block it out because we know what it will cost us if we say yes to that. And Nehemiah knew what it would cost him, and he had a, he had a fork in the road, and when he came to it, he said, God, I will enter into the cries of the poor. I will listen to these people. I will look them in the eyes. I will feel it. I'll take it on board, and I'll do whatever I can do about it. The second thing that Nehemiah did is he let their cries move him. He let their cries move him. It says in verse six that when I heard the outcry and these charges, I was very angry. (laughs) He emoted. 
That's not right. A justice quotient deep down in his being rose up within him. The image of God on the inside of him, that, that God who rages against injustice, God who rages against people not being able to have their daily bread, God who rages against people being kicked out into homelessness, God who feels the cries of the poor, God who listens to the slaves in Egypt after 400 years and does something and rises up and brings them into the promised land. That's in Nehemiah and that's meant to be in us. That we hear about the people who are not living in a land flowing with milk and honey, yet we know God has promised that to them just like he's promised it to us. And so when we know that there's a gap there, we step into it, we feel it. We hear it and we feel it. So what does Nehemiah do in this moment? It says, I called together a large meeting to deal with them. He gets the whole community together after listening. I called together a large, we gotta do something about this and get the people together because we're gonna talk. It's a town hall meeting. He's coming and he's ready to do some work. And Nehemiah says, and I continued, what you are doing is not right and shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God? Several years ago, it was eight years ago now, I think, Pastor Brady was meeting with the mayor. The mayor called and said, hey, we, we want a great relationship with New Life and you guys have meant so much to the community through the years and the mayor at the time was a man of faith and, and so Brady goes to meet with the mayor and in their meeting, Pastor Brady toward the end said, I need you to tell me about something about Colorado Springs that I don't know. It's a really good question. Tell me something about Colorado Springs that I don't know. And the mayor said, well, we have 800 single parents sleeping in their cars at night with their kids. 800 documented, and there's probably more on the periphery. And these are the working poor. This is not the indigent poor. That you know, th These are the working poor. They have jobs. They're trying, but they just can't get over the hump. And they're going to school, and they're working two jobs, and they're taking their kids to schools, but they don't have anywhere to sleep at the end of the night because there's not enough affordable housing in town. And so at 10, 11 o'clock under the cover of darkness, when the police officers have gone away, they pull into these back corners of parking lots in city parks, and they sleep or try to sleep with their babies, 800. And Brady was a present day Nehemiah and he broke. What? Are you serious? 800? Like with the winter, are you joking? Freezing cold outside, like these people don't have home. He came back and he told our elders and he told our pastoral team, he's like, Listen, there's 800 that they know of sleeping in their cars at night and, and it's just a desecration. That's not, it, it's not ever going to be okay with me that that's happening. No. And so we started dreaming, we started praying and Brady brought it to the congregation and many of you were a part of that eight years ago and we found an apartment complex down at Academy and Airport and bought that thing and renovated it. It was an old crack house. We took it down to the studs, asbestos mitigation, all of the, we got it airtight and beautiful and bought it and it's 18 units and it's been filled every single night since the night we opened it. Mary's Home is changing the game in our city. But Brady would tell you today, it's only 18 units. It's not nearly enough. We're doing something, but we're asking God for more. <laughs> we're asking God to open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings so that we could have more apartment complexes, so that fewer and fewer are sleeping in their cars at night. There's something about hearing the cry and letting the cry mess with you. Nehemiah 
guarded his heart enough so that when the cry came across his life, he heard it and he felt it and he broke and he wept and he calls these people together to have a meeting to deal with them and he says, it's not right, we've got to do something about this. These people cannot lose their places. And so the question that this chapter asks us is, what does Nehemiah do when the calling he thought he was getting into shifted into something else entirely? And the answer is, Nehemiah signs up for self-sacrifice. Nehemiah refuses to ask them to sacrifice without going first. Nehemiah didn't just gather a work crew. He didn't say to them, you guys sort it out. I've done my job. I'm heading back to Persia. Nehemiah enters into it, and Nehemiah feels it. It says, moreover, verse 14, look what he does. He signs up for self-sacrifice. Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, who he got the letters from and the timber from and the money from to leave Persia to come back to rebuild Jerusalem, from the, the 20th year when I was appointed to be the governor of the land in Judah, until his 32nd year, 12 years, Nehemiah has been doing this kind of work. Neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. We didn't eat it. Pay attention to that. We didn't eat the food that was allotted to the governor. I'm an official, legal, uh, political figure in this region, and we didn't eat the food that was allotted. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, they placed a heavy burden on the people, and they took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. This, this was a big, exorbitant tax that was hurting these people who were living hand to mouth. Their assistants also lorded. So it's like, it's not just the governor's hands in the pot, but their assistants lorded it over the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Nehemiah says, no, I had every opportunity. It was written into the budget. That was a part of the deal. That was historically what the governors did. Even their underlings did that. And they took advantage of these people and they worked them and they got everything out of it that they could. He said, but I before God could not act like that. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate. There, there it is again, they ate at my table as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. And each day, look, at the, look what was budgeted for the governor. This was provided for from Persia because of the taxes extracted from the Jews in Jerusalem. Each day, one ox, I, one ox every day, six choice sheep and some chickens were prepared for me and every 10 days an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. So you look at Nehemiah's life and it, you can just say, if you want to lead, you have to bleed first. If you want to lead, you have to bleed first. They had written it into the budget that Nehemiah could just gorge himself. Bro, you're in charge. You're doing the work. It's paid for. It's, it, it, no one would blame you for this. And Nehemiah says, I can't act like that before God. But it doesn't say that he didn't take the food. It said he didn't eat the food. So what did he do with the food? He took it. He, he fed 150 people at his table every single day. Extra was given to him. It was provided. It showed up. And the question that makes me ask when I read about Nehemiah is, what will I do when extra comes my way? He was given this allotment. It showed up to him. It was, it was, and, and he said, look, I took it, but I didn't eat it. And my brothers didn't eat it. And for 12 years, we took what was given to us and we leveraged it for 150 people every single meal of every single day. Nehemiah lived for the good of other people. If you want to lead first, you have to bleed 
first. We see this in the story of Nehemiah. And I'm not pretending to be Nehemiah or I'm not pretending to be important, but as the pastor of this congregation, I can promise you that I will never ask you to sacrifice without sacrificing first. I'll never, I, thanks Helen, I don't need, I, I, look, I don't need that. I'm just saying, I will never ask you to sacrifice, I'll never ask you to give to missions without giving to missions first. I'll never ask you to care about single parents sleeping in cars at night without Lisa and I caring about single parents sleeping in cars at night. I will never ask you to do something that we aren't doing first because why? When you, leave, when you live that way, you have zero spiritual authority. If Nehemiah was saying, hey, you all should take care of each other, but he stayed distant and he, kept, he had no skin in the game and he gorged himself on the provisions that were his and he took the extra to his corner and stockpiled it, if he calls them to live sacrificially, he has no spiritual authority. But Nehemiah could rebuke these people and call them together because why? He bled first. He gave first. The extra was committed unto the Lord. And because of that, these people start living in the different way they take care of each other at the end of this nehemiah says remember me with favor my god he's in a quiet private place of prayer and he knows what it's costing him and he know that it, he knows that it could be easier and he knows that he could have a stockpile back in the corner and he knows that he could leverage his influence but he doesn't do it and in a quiet this is the very last verse of this chapter and he says remember me with favor my god for all i have done for these people he's not bragging to the world he's saying lord i trust you that you're a good accountant <laughs> I trust you that you see everything. I trust you that you're the God who's gonna just take care of me all the days of my life, even as I take care of these people. And I'll just say to you tonight, friends, when you live this way, the favor of God comes on your life and you can't avoid it. The favor of God descends, it falls. You've heard it said, you can't outgive God. My pastor growing up said, if God can get it through you, God will get it to you. Remember me with favor, my God, for all that I've done for these people. And as we're thinking about this kind of life, I, one of the guys that I really admire in my life, a family, Jack and Rose Egan. They've been married over 50 years. John Egan, our worship leader, that's his parents. And Jack, New Jersey guy, and lived out there forever. Just a good, hardworking businessman. God has blessed him and Rose and... He said to me one time at dinner, he said, if we hadn't tithed all these years, we'd have a lot more money, but we wouldn't be as wealthy. <laughs> if we hadn't tithed all these years, we, we might have a lot more money, but we would not be nearly as wealthy. You can't outgive God. You just can't. Like, when you trust him, with the edges of your field. This is what the, the, the ancient Israelites were called to do. Leave the edges of your field and give it to the poor. Self-sacrifice, bleed first. And I promise you that 85% or 90% before God will go much farther than 100% hoarding it to yourself. Remember me with favor, oh my God, for all I've done. And I'm gonna live this way and I'm gonna trust you and I believe that you're the God who keeps good track. And I believe that, Lord, when we're in a pension, we need help, you're gonna rescue us. And I believe that you will always give us this day our daily bread. And so when I see someone who doesn't have daily bread, I'm going to step into that space and I'm gonna bleed first. I'm gonna hear their cry and I'm gonna feel their cry and I'm going to step in. Friends, this week, this week, I have heard a few stories in our congregation that have broken my heart. 
absolutely, it's a desecration that people are having to live this way. I know a dear sister in this congregation, a single mom, who's having to choose between buying insulin for herself or getting evicted from her apartment. We took care of that yesterday. We took care of that yesterday. That's not gonna happen on our watch. Can you imagine your body's breaking down and you know the medicine that you need, but you're trying to keep your kid under a cup? No, in Jesus' name, no. Because we are always gonna be a people that hear the cry of the poor and we feel it and we step into it. So I'm just saying, if you're gonna be around here for a long time, you will hear about the poor. You will hear about the brokenhearted. You will hear about the downcast. You will hear about the call to leverage your strength and to give yourself and to lend your extra to the kingdom of God. You, just, you will get uncomfortable if you don't like that. Welcome to New Life Church. Friends, when we come and we live before Jesus like this, He remembers with favor. And it says in Acts chapter four that when the people of God lived this way, they sold lands and they gave tithes and they did this and they laid it at the apostles' feet. It said that there were no needy ones among them. And in a world that's desperately lonely and in a world where poverty is running rampant and it's on the rise and in the world where affordable housing is, is, is going away more and more in cities like ours, the church of Jesus Christ gets to rise up and practice a different kind of economy and a different kind of love and a different kind of way of being and we will be a provocation. People will come to Jesus because they see us living like this. So I'm here to say to you tonight, people of God, there will come times where you can come to the fork in the road and you can choose the easy way of going la, 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 and not hearing the cry of the poor, and you have that option. Or you can come to that same fork in the road and you can hear the cry and you can let it break your heart and you can give the extra that you have and you can listen and intuit and pay attention and ask. I'm not asking you to trust the church to do all of this as an institution. I'm saying when you meet people, ask them how they're doing. Ask them what they need. Live as the people of God and as we do this, there will be no needy ones among us. Church, I beg you to trust Jesus with your resources and let his favor fall on you. Would you stand with me tonight? Would you stand with me tonight? I wish I could get up here and just give you some Mr. Rogers quotes and, and just be real happy all that. Like, I, I just wouldn't sleep at night. <laughs> I wouldn't sleep at night if this text was here and we bent, went around it. And so thank you for hearing the cry of the scriptures and the cry of the poor tonight. So what I'm gonna do tonight, I've never done this like this. And I'll just say to you, there is zero manipulation, Okay? This need, these needs that I've heard about this week, we as a church and we as a family, we are stepping into these needs. And as we come to receive communion, I'm going to invite you to do something. I'm not asking you about your tithe, okay? There are tithes and there are offerings. They're different. Tithe is a tenth of what you make. And offering are, there are these moments where the Lord shows you something or breaks your heart for something and and you just respond. And so I've come ready to respond with an offering tonight, a cash offering that's gonna go to these three families that are in desperate need this week. I brought a $100 bill and I don't care. Lord, don't put it to my account. I'm not bragging. I'm just here to tell you I'm going first and I'm not asking you to do something. But if you have some cash tonight that you can give, This cash is gonna go straight to these families and it's gonna make a big difference this week. It's gonna relieve stress. 
It's gonna roll back anxiety. It's gonna communicate that the church of Jesus Christ is with you and is for you, and you're gonna be okay. So church tonight, as we give to the Lord, as we receive communion, Jesus leads first and he bleeds first. Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And as often as you do this, remember that this is what it's like. So church, I'm putting some cash here on the stage. Every penny that comes in tonight, again, I'm not asking for tithe, don't, you know, but if you wanna help participate with these families, it'll go directly to them. I invite you, as we're receiving communion and singing, you can come put cash on the stage and we'll make sure that it gets right to them. Would you get your communion elements ready to go? Jeez, I hope you guys know my heart in this. I hope you know I'm not trying to twist any arms. I hope you know that God loves a cheerful giver, I, but I want you to know that we're always gonna be a church that steps into these moments. If you don't have communion elements, would you raise your hand and our team will bring them to you right here in the second row. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, the Lord took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And as often as you do this, do this for the remembrance of me. Jesus is broken so that we can be made whole. Jesus becomes poor so, so that we can become rich. Church tonight, Jesus is here to feed you and to satisfy you and to prov provide for you. You may receive the bread. On that same night, Jesus took the cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant given in my blood and it's given for the remission of your sins. And as often as you do this, do this for the remembrance of me. Friends, tonight, the Lord Jesus is here to wash away our sins, to make us clean, to make us whole, to establish us in his love. Tonight, friends, your sins are forgiven you. You may receive the cup. We're gonna sing this song of worship to the Lord. The front is open here. Let's worship Jesus as we give. Heart and 
worthy of every song we could ever sing. You're worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. You're worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you, yes, God, we live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. You're worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Yes, we live for you. Sing church here's what I want to do we're going to go back into this song but these are very real dollars 
from very real people. And these are going to very real people with very real stories of pain. And we're going to pray tonight. Here's what we're going to pray as we give. You've given. And I want you to stretch out your hands. I know this may sound silly to some of you, but we're going to pray for these people. We're going to pray that as they receive these gifts, that something in the atmosphere of their life shifts. That something in their circumstances shifts. That something in their health shifts. That something in the favor of God descending on their life shifts. Lord, we pray right now for these families and we pray, deliver them. Deliver them, Lord. Have mercy on your people, Lord. The God who loves the poor. The God who defends the defenseless. The God who bleeds. The God who cries. The God who weeps. The God who feels it to his core. The God who will die to save us. We pray that you would rescue them. We pray that you would heal them. We pray that you would deliver them. We pray that joy would come. Give them their joy back, Lord. Give them their song back, Lord. I pray that their homes would feel protected, that their homes would feel safe again. I pray for sweet sleep again. I pray for a deep breath of fresh air again for our brothers and sisters who are hurting. So we as the church, we give tonight and we say, Lord, take the five loaves and the two fish that we have and feed the multitudes, Lord. Take these gifts and break them and bless them and pass them out. And Lord, we pray that you would change the lives of these families that are going to receive them. We pray these things tonight in God's name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Come on, church, let's sing. looking here 
Someone didn't have cash, but they had a Visa gift card and they dropped it in. Thank you, whoever you are. Just thank all of you. Thank you for this. Seeing a bunch of $100 bills in here and just every penny that you've given tonight. God bless you. And as your pastor, I say thank you for, for being this kind of congregation. Thank you. I quit if we aren't this kind of people. I quit if we won't do this when our heart breaks. I quit if we just, if we just circle the wagons and take care of number one. It, it's just anti-Jesus. <laughs> so thank you for being Jesus' people. Thank you for your generosity and your hearts to serve. I pray tonight, may the Lord our God bless you. And I pray that last verse, remember your people with favor, O oh God, for what they have done for your people. I pray that what the psalmist said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed out begging for bread. You will not lack in Jesus' name. And God will supply you so that you can keep being generous. Lord, I pray, open up the windows of heaven over my friends and pour out blessing that they don't even have room enough to contain. I pray that their businesses would pop. <laughs> I pray, Lord, that they would flourish. I pray that this would be their best year yet. I pray, Lord, that you would cause them to prosper so that you can build your church so that there's no needy people among us. And Lord, we pray that you would eradicate homelessness in Colorado Springs. That you'd make it so that there's no single parents sleeping in cars at night. On our watch, Lord, would you do that? Empty the streets, Lord. People who need a home, get them in a home. I pray, bless my friends and keep them. Make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. Lord, lift your countenance upon them and grant them peace, I pray, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Can we thank God for what he's done here tonight? As God is my witness, every penny of this will go to these families that I've talked about straight to them. Bless you for it. If you're new, come see us at Guest Central. Our prayer team is coming down front. If you have any prayer needs, we would love to agree with you. The EXO conference is tomorrow morning. Go from here tonight in God's grace and peace. Much love.